First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Hit well in a center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here. Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout. The pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast. A review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. Hey, what's going on? Hello and welcome to the Angels Recap Podcast. My name is Trent Rush. Excited to be with you here as the Otani Mania in Denver is finally uh, come to a conclusion. We got a couple days uh, for this Angels team to rest, Shohei in particular, before the Halos get back to business coming up on Friday. Until then, my goodness, is there a lot to get to here on the podcast today. Of course, we're going to talk about what went down in Denver, all the cool stuff at the All-Star game, the what I thought was just a great showing from Shohei Otani and Jared Walsh. I know that uh, they each went 0 for 2, but I, I thought for those guys, a really good showing. And once again, we got to see Angels um, be their first class selves in uh, on the biggest stage, which Mike Trout has owned for so many years. But when you talk about just first class people, uh, Shohei Otani and Jared Walsh uh, fit that mold in such a significant way. And we got a chance to see that. So we'll We'll talk about the All-Star game, certainly. And the MLB draft was going on the same time basically. So I know that um, maybe the casual fan isn't paying all that close of attention to what's going on draft time. Look, the, the, the Major League Baseball draft is not the same as like the NFL or the NBA draft, but it is significant. And for the Angels, how about this note? 20 for 20 in drafting pitchers. I know on social media they were calling it a no-hitter, which I found pretty funny. Uh, but for the Angels to have 20 draft picks, all of them spent on arms, I, I think tells you a little something about what this organization is focused on and focused on improving 19 of those arms are college arms as well. So when you think about it, you know, you go and draft a college player, they're going to be closer to big league ready than a high school player would be. A lot of times in high school, you're drafting upside and potential. A lot of times when you take college guys, you're, you're taking guys that are going to be closer to the major league level. Again, that, that's not always the uh, rule there, but just generally speaking, that sometimes is the thought. And Sam Bachman, the Angels' number one pick, is uh, somebody that I know that a lot of people are excited about his potential to maybe even be a part of the big league staff at some point here in the 2021 season. Um, I don't think that that is far-fetched. I don't know that that would be necessarily what's going to happen, but I don't think that that is impossible to have happen. And we're going to hear from him a little bit later on. I had a chance to ask him a couple of questions, and we checked in with Kai Bush as well, big 6 six left-hander uh, out of St. Mary's that the Angels 
uh, were able to draft in the second round. So Bachman in the first round out of Miami, Ohio, and then uh, Kai Bush, a second rounder um, out of St. Mary's, the big 6'6 lefty in the second round. And boy, after that, the Angels got some big name uh, players as well, brought in a, a really good pitcher from LSU in the third round. So uh, we're going to check in with Angel Scouting Director Matt Swanson coming up later on in this podcast. Hey, look, I, I tell you this to get the scouting director of the club the day after the MLB draft is a big deal and we are really excited to have Matt Swanson on so we'll get a chance to hear from him in just a bit but first we got to talk about the all-star game and the home run derby Um, we'll start with the derby on Monday it was so much fun I thought just watching Shohei Otani and Juan Soto go to battle I would say this I just wish Otani could have that first minute back in the home run derby he ends up hitting 28. It goes to a swing off. Juan Soto ends up being the winner there. But, man, you would have just loved to have seen Shohei uh, have that one more, uh, get that minute back because, man, the damage he was doing and the pace he was on. Like in that third minute, uh, man, he was just crushing him. He ends up hitting six over 500 feet. Are you kidding me? That's a Shohei uh, we all wanted to see. And it was cool to hear Shohei after the All-Star game talk about being like, hey, I'd be happy to come back to the home run derby um you got to imagine that there are some uh, folks uh, in new york in the league office pretty excited that Shohei otani would want to come back in the home run derby because um I, he was the he was the main attraction really all week and it was just really fun watching him embrace that you know i, I couldn't help but laugh he goes on mlb network and they asked him if he was nervous and he goes well i'm not so much nervous for the game but I, i'm kind of nervous talking to you guys because i see you on tv all the time the humility of Shohei is radiant. His smile, his joy for baseball is infectious. You cannot help but love watching Shohei Otani. I'm telling you, I watch this guy and I can't help but smile and he reaffirms my love and my passion for the game of baseball. And I know I'm not alone in that. I know a lot of other people feel the same way about Shohei Otani that have loved this game for so long and he is attracting people that might not necessarily have been baseball fans. He is hitting a much wider audience, casting a much wider net of fans for this game. He is so good for baseball. And people watch this guy and they cannot help but love him. He's got such a great personality. And I just love how expressive he is. Um, and, and of course, you know, getting a chance to, to see him every day is a real treat here with the Angels. But when the whole country gets to watch him, I just thought it was really cool. I mean, Otani, he, he didn't have to win the home run derby. If anything, maybe it was better for him that he got to rest after that because it was pretty obvious that was taxing on him. That's a hard thing to do in that home run derby. And uh, you give credit to Pete Alonzo for winning back-to-back home run derbies. That's a guy that is built for the derby. Uh, No hard feelings, losing to Juan Soto. Hey, you go three for three in a swing-off. Tip of the cap, good for you. It was fun watching that. I just thought that was just an epic battle, watching Soto and Otani in that first round. I am not a guy that typically will watch the Home Run Derby. If I'm going to be totally honest, the Home Run Derby, for me, is not necessarily something that's really piquing my interest. I mean, I, I try to watch 162 baseball games over the course of the season. You get to the All-Star break, and then it comes time to, you know, sometimes maybe take a night off from watching baseball when you're in it all the time. Um, no, this was one of those, it was appointment TV. You had to see Shohei Otani perform. Um, you know, I 
got together with friends and we made an event of it to watch Shohei Otani. It was that big of a deal uh, to be able to see him and the way he carried himself and the way he performed I thought was outstanding. I won't lie, I got nervous watching that first minute, but it just took me back to the big picture of Shohei Otani and remembering seeing him in the spring of 2018 when I mean he couldn't hit anything in that spring training and the pitching was a disaster that spring only to get into the first week of the season and in the first homestand homer in three straight games and then take a perfect game into the seventh inning then it's like oh yeah Shohei that's the hype that's it and we're starting to see all of that come to fruition on a more consistent basis Uh, but the home run derby was an outstanding event Um, It was great to see Shohei perform the way that he did, even though he didn't win. Hitting those six home runs over 500 feet was just spectacular, and he ends up still hitting 28 home runs, that despite hitting, what, two in the first minute? So uh, very, very cool, and it was just seeing him on the red carpet and doing the interviews and, and everything that he was doing, he just brought joy to baseball. And that you cannot help but love. And that is what's going to attract so many people. So no matter what naysayers are out there saying whatever they would like about Otani and uh, maybe not being good for the game, if that is your thought, I think you need to reassess and maybe spend some time watching the game of baseball and watching Shohei Otani because everybody that watched Shohei couldn't help but love him. Um, Except for I did see that there were some fans that are haters. Um, out there that were you know maybe fans of another team in in this market and I just thought that was fun too because that is to me a sign of greatness when you start getting other people say oh hold on wait a minute wait a minute I'm not in on this guy uh that to me is a sign okay now here you go uh you start attracting that That, that's a good thing to me uh seeing some of that so I'm encouraged by Shohei Otani um and uh, I just I'm encouraged for baseball because of Shohei Otani I guess is a better way to put that and I just thought his performance on home run derby was probably what's going to be my biggest takeaway of course in the all-star game he ends up making history becoming the first player to get a win and bat leadoff, not just in an all-star game, not in a regular season game, not in a postseason game, the first time ever. That's never happened before. As Shohei makes history, gets the win, runs it up to 100 with the fastball. We haven't seen that in over a month. Otani's saying afterwards, hey, I wasn't trying to conserve for later. I was just trying to bring my best, and he did. Gets Fernando Tantis Jr. to lead things off. Max Muncy, Nolan Arnato, who, even though he's a Cardinal, the, the Colorado faithful absolutely love Arnato still. Otani sits him down in order in the first inning, en route to picking up the pitching win. How cool was that for Shohei Otani? I know he goes over two at the plate, and, and you could tell he was a little, uh, especially his second at bat, he was a little bit out in front of it. Um, just He was excited, okay? He was excited. He wanted to be on that stage, and I, I thought he performed great. And then how about Jared Walsh? He gets put in left field, and he goes and makes a sliding catch, and I, I loved what he said afterwards. He was joking around, saying, hey, I, I just hope Joe Madden wasn't watching because I like playing first base a whole lot more than left field uh it was just cool 
it was just cool hearing that from uh, from Jared Walsh that he, he's able to let his personality shine on that stage. Um, anybody that's that's gotten a chance to talk to Jared or maybe has listened to this podcast and has heard Jared on the podcast before uh, just knows how much fun it is talking with him and and his confidence and his passion for baseball and his love and you know th- there was a lot being made of like remember in 2019 when he milked the cow. Uh, I'll just tell this story because. I remember him doing that, and and that is something like, okay, you go, and, and there are certain responsibilities as a rookie that are just part of your job in the baseball clubhouse. Um, you're not going to send Mike Trout or Shohei Otani out to go milk the cow. You usually send a player that um, maybe isn't going to play that night or somebody that is a rookie to go do something like that. It's almost kind of like a rite of passage in some ways. Um, but, but that's part of the deal. It's not that nobody wants to do it. Um, it's fun to be a part of that kind of stuff. But a lot of times, veteran players have their routine, and maybe they've done stuff like that in the past, and now it's time for the rookies to step up and do that. Well, Jared Walsh goes and milks the cow. I don't remember what he did in the game that night. I think he played, though. Um, And then the next day, I mean, remember, this is 2019, so Jared Walsh is just the 39th-round pick that you're thinking, oh, good for him, cool story that he made it to the big leagues. Great. You never know if he's going to stick or not. Maybe this is the last you see of Jared Walsh. He's got pretty good AAA numbers, but you don't know what he's going to be, and he wasn't really hitting at the time. Um, Again, he was just getting his feet wet in Major League Baseball. So the next day, I remember I was with him at a library visit at Anaheim Library, and we were doing, you know, meeting with kids at 9 in the morning. Now, Jared was so good. He was great with the kids and reading the books and talking to them and answering their questions, and he was really embracing it. I mean, he was phenomenal that day. And that always stuck with me because – As much as players love doing things like this, love going to school visits and love going to library visits and interacting with fans, I'm telling you, players love this stuff. But to do it at 9 o'clock in the morning after a night game, probably less than ideal, okay? But Jared milks the cow, plays in the game. I'm pretty sure he played in the game. I want to double-check that. Uh, But the next day goes the library visit and was great. And not not just took it in stride, he embraced it. And I remember telling him that day, I'm like, hey, hey Jared, uh, you're being a great teammate uh, for, for doing this. And he's like, hey, I like this. I, he, he's good for it. And he knew that, hey, when you're a rookie, that kind of comes with the territory. He's a 39th round pick. He, he's, not an all, he's not all-star Jared Walsh at the time. He's just a guy that's happy to be in the big leagues. And he took that on, and that spoke volumes to me about the kind of person he is and the character that he has and the way he represents this organization, you got to love Jared Walsh for all of those things. And then, not to mention the fact that the dude can mash. I mean, what he's doing at the plate right now is outstanding. The way he's patrolling first base is outstanding. you got to love what we've seen from Jared Walsh. And then he goes and makes a sliding catch in left field, too. And he's, like, worried about, hey, I don't want to be too good in left because I want to play first base. Don't worry, Jared. I don't think you're going anywhere over at first base. Halos need you over there, and and he does so much for the Angels defensively. We've gotten into this on the podcast before, We've talked about it on the radio show, that what Jared's able to do because of his athleticism, the Angels can be so aggressive in their shifting, 
and they can move him. You know, he's basically setting up in between first and second base. There are times where Jared is as close to second as he is to first on shifts, and the Angels can be more aggressive with that because Jared is so athletic that he can get to a ball and, you know, a hard-hit ground ball over the left side. I mean, you're in a full sprint to get back to first base before the batter, and Jared can do it. Not many first basemen can do that. So I don't really care what the metrics or the numbers say. I think they're pretty good for Walsh. I I really don't know because I think that a lot of fielding metrics are are very flawed. But the way that Jared plays first base allows others to have success and allows the Angels to play great team defense. Certainly much better team defense. And I don't think it's a surprise that since, you know, really middle of May, the Angels have been a, a much, much better defensive team. I don't think that that's a shock to anybody, and I think that Jared Walsh is a huge reason for that. Halo's got out of the gate slow as a defensive team. They had a lot of defensive issues early on that were hard to explain. Now we are seeing this team play the kind of defense we all expected at the beginning of the season. But I, I really think that Walsh being able to to be um, you know as athletic as he is, and for the Angels to be as aggressive with their shifting because of Walsh's athleticism, I can't help but think that that plays a big role in that. So it was cool seeing Jared Walsh on that stage and having so much success. Um, one of my favorite rookies ever for you know the other stuff. It's not just what you do on the field. It's the other stuff that comes with being a big leaguer. And Jared Walsh embraced it and thrived in that role. And now here he is. Uh, you could say uh, Walshy lived his best life in the All-Star game. I didn't get a hit in the game, but uh, it was just fun. It was fun. It was a great showing, I thought, for both Shohei and for Jared Walsh. The only thing the game was missing was Mike Trout, um, and I guess the Angels can say that too. Again, really since about the middle of May, um, and, and you're hoping to get Trouty back uh, before the end of July. I, I know that there's not a, a timetable set on that. We'll see when he ends up going on a rehab assignment uh, for how he's going to get back into the fold for the Angels. He's eligible to return on the 17th. I don't see that happening, uh, but you don't want to necessarily put timelines on things um, in particular. So that's just something uh, to keep in mind with Mike Trout. You want to get him back. You want to get um, you know Justin Upton back. You want to get Anthony Rendon back. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. There have only been four games this year when the Angels have essentially had their core eight position players. That's with Max Stassi. Uh, behind the plate, Jared Walsh at first, Fletch is your second baseman, Jose Iglesias at shortstop, Anthony Rendon at third, Upton and left, and Trout in center. Okay, I'm not even including Dex Fowler uh, in right field. I'm just talking about the core eight because he got hurt so early. Uh, that core eight has played four games together. Angels are 3-1 and one in those games. That gives me a lot of confidence moving forward. I know this team can hit. And then we've gotten to see other guys emerge, like Phil Gosselin, who, who's been so good in a utility role, has been all, all over the place for the Angels. And other guys have gotten to step up too. But I, I can't help but think when the Angels get their full complement of players, how good this offense can be. I really think it's a top three offensive team in baseball with the full group. Maybe even best in baseball. I'm serious. When you get everybody clicking. Because Otani is exceeding expectations. If Trout is Trout, and then if Rendon can get back to what he was in 2019 with the Nationals, look out. Um, you keep Upton hitting the way he was before he got hurt. Uh, with the way Stassi can swing the bat, Iglesias has been exactly who we thought he was going to be. You know, those are all really good things. And, and then, of course, Jared Walsh has come out of – I won't say come out of nowhere because we saw it in September last year, but Walsh has been phenomenal. He's been phenomenal. So there is so much to – and then David Fletcher. Let's not forget, David Fletcher is on, what, this 24-game hit streak? He's automatic right now. Fletch has been so good 
and he carried the Angels in Seattle. I, I think Fletcher essentially lifted the Halos to a victory uh, on that Sunday game. After taking two or three from the Red Sox, obviously you would have wanted to see the Angels be able to win that uh, series in Seattle to wrap up the first half. But where they sit right now, five and a half games out of a playoff spot, I really think there's a chance for this team to make some noise in the second half, not just because of the guys getting healthier and getting the full complement of players back, but I'm also seeing changes to the rotation that are speaking volumes to me. I really think that injecting Patrick Sandoval and Jose Suarez into the rotation is going to pay big-time dividends moving forward. I really think so. And I, I saw it in the series in Seattle. Angels went 1-1 one and one in the last two games. But Sandoval dealt on Saturday, and I thought Suarez was really good on Sunday. Let's not forget, Suarez is a sub-2-5 ERA right now. I know he's only made two starts. But out of the bullpen, he was really good. And now here he comes in the rotation. So I know that there are some fans that maybe wrote off Jose Suarez when he was 22 years old, cutting his teeth at the big league level in 2019. I would say reserve judgment for this guy and allow him the time to develop. That's how the Angels are going to be able to pitch better. It's about drafting and developing. And the Angels have drafted a lot of really good pitchers over the years. And we're just now starting to see that development come through and make its way to the big league level. The Angels right now are in a place where it's not like these pitchers are all in, in rookie ball and low A. They have guys in high A and double A, and once you get to double A, then you can make that jump rather quick to the big league level. But you got to give them time. You can't rush guys through the system. So you only want them to be in the big leagues when they're ready. And now Suarez, to me, is looking ready. Patrick Sandoval, to me, is looking ready. You're getting these guys in the rotation. You're getting them in the fold, and all of a sudden, maybe now you don't have to go worry about signing guys on one-year deals in the offseason when you can develop internally and get those guys up, which allows you to have some of the financial flexibility to keep your megastars and also maybe go out and get something else. Maybe go get some reliever help. you got to be able to develop internally, and, and that's the, the whole key. And the Angels have taken, you know, you're, you're seeing with the, with one group of players, you're seeing the step two, right? They've been drafted, now the development part and how that's coming along. And, and then the Angels went and in this draft class took 20 pitchers. The number one pitcher, Sam Bachman, could be ready to go in 2021 uh, in this major league staff, in, in the bullpen probably, but he projects as a starter long term. Bachman, really interesting arm to me. Kai Bush, really interesting arm to me. And it was really fun having a conversation with the Angels scouting director, Matt Swanson, about the draft. And here he is now uh, talking about how the Angels selected players in 2021. All right, we're talking with Matt Swanson right now, the director of amateur scouting for the Angels. And uh, a big day uh, for you, Matt, getting done with this draft. 20 for 20 pitchers, uh, some folks calling it a, a no-hitter on social media, which is amusing. But in reality, uh, for you guys to go out and, and take 20 pitchers, I think on the surface there would have to be some thought that this was an area you guys came in with a game plan wanting to address. Just in, in terms of an overall picture, how would you feel about how it all played out, and, and was this really something that you were trying to accomplish going in? Right, yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously I have precedent for taking a lot of pitchers previously. Um, you know, and, and for me, you know, it, it can be an area of focus, not necessarily a, an area of need per se, but you know, I think the when you look at where our system is at, um, 
you know, injecting as many pitchers as we're going to be able to into, you know, where our system is as far as like the position players um, that we have, you know, whether it's rookie ball all the way up to AAA. I think it just brings a good, good amount of balance to our system. So. Yeah, I think people forget about the, the, the Jeremiah Jackson, Jordan Adams class, where you followed that with 17 pitchers after that. Um, I want to get some of your thoughts on Sam Bachman, your first-round pick. Ninth overall, uh, comes out of Miami, Ohio. That's not exactly known as being you know a big power baseball program like you hear about in the SEC or Pac-12. What were some of your thoughts on Sam and, and what you know made him so appealing to you? Yeah, Sam. Sam's awesome and just what an incredible – pitcher and athlete and competitor but more so like a person and his humbleness and just his just work ethic and his just care for his body and to the craft of pitching like it's it's a really special unique package that it's just so hard to find and um you know for sam like he's gonna have every opportunity to move as quickly as he wants to and um, you know, it's just it's a really exciting uh, young arm to bring into the system. And, you know, when I was able to talk to him for the first time, you know, after selecting him a couple nights ago, um, you know, the, th- the thing he said, I couldn't track him down. And, you know, they had like a big party going on. He's like, I'm, I'm so tired. I was up at six, started working out. Then I went through my bullpen. I mean, this is up at 6 a.m., you know, the morning of the draft, just already, you know, continuing to get ready for professional baseball. So, um, you know, just just exciting, and it's just a it's a it's a fun one to bring into the system. It was cool. We had a chance to talk with him on Zoom just the other day, and he was asked about like you know the possibility of maybe he comes up as a part of the Angels, you know, pitching staff at some point in 2021. And he's like, Yeah, I'm, I'm game. I'm, I'm up for it. When you hear a guy talk like that, and you talk about the work ethic, like. How much does makeup value or, or, or factor into the decision? Like, obviously, he's got good stuff, but how much do those intangibles play a role in, in making a pick like that? It's, it's the hardest thing to quantify. Uh, it is the hardest thing to find. Uh, and when you see it, it's just, it, it like it jumps out and hits you. Um, and, you know, and for Sam, you know, to say that's like not surprising at all. And again, understanding where just different pitchers are. You know, in their careers and in their 2021, you know, um, just workloads. And Sam was the one like, I'm ready. Like I shut it down for you know a week or two, and I ramp back up. And this is what I'm doing. This is my plan. This is how I'm getting ready to sign and get going uh, and compete this summer. Um, it's exciting, right? Like he's he's ready, and you know he's earned everything that's you know that's going to be you know handed to him. And um, you know, it's just again, it's it's one of those where it's just a genuine like hats off to to Sam for for putting in the work, uh, and just really transforming not only like his career but his life and the the lifestyle that he's choosing to follow as a as a professional. Um, it's it's awesome, right? So you know, it's again all the credit in the world to him. I don't want to go line by line and go through all 20 picks, but I do want to ask you about Kai Bush, yep. second round pick, big six foot six left hander out of St. Mary's. Everything I've read on the guy, I, again, I hadn't heard of him before this week. I, that, that's your territory. It's not mine. But uh, everything I've read, plus, plus fastball, I mean, the stuff sounds like it's legit. What were some of your impressions of him? Yeah, it, different, honestly, like different versions, totally different pitcher than Sam, but a lot of the underlying stuff um, from, a, from a makeup, work ethic, competitiveness, um, really high, you know, uh, character kid. And I think the, the exciting thing is he, he is such a unique different package compared to Sam and you know when you look at him you know big lefty up to 96 97 um, you know big stuff really great change up the the separator was like you know go and look at like his command like this is a lot of feel and a really big 
big body and who is just, you know, kind of starting to scratch the surface. And obviously he, he was a, you know, three schools in three years, just with, you know, all the COVID stuff that was going on, uh, finally kind of was able to come into his own and really kind of start scratching the surface this year. And I still think there's a lot more to come with him, um, you know, once he starts his pro career. So really exciting, you know, again, um, has, has proven a lot to this point, but still has, you know, another gear that, you know, I think we all believe is going to be in there moving forward. We got to talk about the 20 pitchers. And obviously, that's a huge number to go 20 for 20, um, but also 19 college arms. I thought that was pretty surprising. Um, again, I, I don't know the background of this, and I know they entrust what you understand about what's happening across amateur baseball. So for you to kind of go that direction, I would imagine that probably wasn't by design. Maybe it was. Just how did that kind of come to be? Yeah, again, you know, it's, it's something I – maybe not to this extreme, but something I'd done previously. Um, and I think just the pure depth of pitching, um, when you're really condensing almost two draft classes into one this year, um, you know, there was, there was impact pitching to be had, you know, in the mid rounds and in the late rounds, all the way to our last pick that, um, you know, is, is just available and it's it, pitching comes at a premium. And then, you know, you have just a, an influx of it really in almost two classes this year that, that you just you you grab and you believe in, and you know they do different and unique things that you feel like can translate to professional baseball and ultimately to Anaheim. So, um, in a lot of ways, you know I think this was um, it's kind of a dream come true for me. You know, as a, as a former pitcher who loves pitching, um, to to just you know again continue just to to fold as many arms as we're going to be able to into the system is, is really exciting. Matt, now as far as the three days very different this year being with the all-star break a later class a later time to do the draft but a lot of changes as well new general manager i'd like to know some of the maybe the differences of what the room was like yeah. and how the selection process uh went about yeah it's been awesome and you know perry's fantastic and gives you know myself and ray montgomery and our group of scouts just the utmost liberty to to just you know voice our opinions on players and and just have fun and keep it loose in there and obviously there's some really long days and you know you look back after almost two weeks of meetings and I think everybody's kind of kind of worn but you know to to have it come to this um, you know and execute on an awesome draft like it's it's really exciting so yeah there's there's a lot of reasons for optimism moving forward and you know uh, just uh, feel really good about the things we have in place and where we're going. I know we talked last year in the 2020 draft about the challenge that came with trying to, you know, find players in the COVID era. Now, just four draft picks last year, a 20-pick class this year. What were those challenges like for you, just logistically, in, in getting tape on guys and seeing them? How different was that compared to 2019 and, and beyond? Yeah, I mean, and it's still, you know, we're we're still feeling the effects of it, you know, in our little scouting community, um, still, you know, um, throughout the spring and you know now into the summer. But I mean, a few of the pitchers we took, you know, in the, in the higher picks, like they were very tough to see this year. I mean, we were able to see them and scout them and get to spend time with them and get access. But, you know, certain universities and, and high schools, you know, scattered around the country, it was, there, were, there were challenges in place, uh, you know, of limiting how many scouts can attend and certain weekends that certain groups of teams can attend and not attend. So there was still a lot to work through um, that, you know, 2019 earlier that, that didn't exist. So, you know, I think the, the one thing it's taught us is to just be flexible and communicate and, 
um, just understand, you know, there's going to be restrictions and limitations and there are things that, you know, we have to, you know, abide by just because, uh, you know, that's, that's the hand we've been dealt and we have to respect decisions that are made, whether we agree with them or not. So, uh, again, you know, you have to be re resourceful and, you know, um, go and look at film on players and do Zooms with players and call coaches and, you know, people, um, you know, that, that, you know, are people of influence for the players and, and just get as good of a picture as we can if there's blind spots. Because that's more than anything, I think last year taught us is uncovering what the blind spots are on players prior to making selections and do everything we can, you know, within reason to, to make selections in full confidence. Matt, last thing for me, um, everyone's going to hear about the top two names in particular. Is there another guy that's in this group that might be particularly interesting for Angel fans that maybe jumped out like, oh, wow, this guy in the eighth round, I couldn't believe he fell to us. Was there anybody like that for you in this draft? So for, for the, the sake of being fair to the full group, I'll pick Landon Marceau, who went third. Um, Landon's incredible. I mean, he was a USA pitcher in high school. And to go and anchor a rotation at LSU and the best conference in, in college baseball, the SEC, um, he's a special, special kid. Like the make, and I mean, again, I'm, I'm big on makeup and character and competitiveness. Like this is top of the scale. Um, he is, he is really fun. And he's a hyper competitor, and it's going to be one that um, you know I'm going to be really curious to see how quickly he moves because he he can have pretty good and quick impact on, on our organization. And then circle back on the one high school pitcher we took, Mason Albright. You know, Mason is just a hyper competitor and really just awesome, unique, young pitcher with tremendous upside and, you know, just a, a package of, of pitches that we believe in. So, um, you know, it's it's fun, right? Like, it's fun when you look up and there's so many different, you know, unique, um, you know, pitchers to compare themselves to. It should be fun to watch their development, their growth. That's the deal, right? You got to draft and develop. That's how you get a pitching staff, and the Angels go 20 for 20 in the draft this year. Matt, appreciate it. Thanks, and congratulations. Thank you, I appreciate it. Really appreciate Matt Swanson for giving us that kind of time and great insight into the Angels' room, taking us through the draft process and giving us a little background on these selections the Angels uh, have made here in the 2021 first-year player draft. Speaking of those selections, Sam Bachman and I had a chance to catch up and meet each other, really, for the first time on a Zoom call just the other day. So here now is Angels' first-round pick, Sam Bachman. Sam, congratulations um, on your selection. I mean, to be a top 10 pick in Major League Baseball's first-year player draft, remarkable. Uh, for you, what was it like hearing your name called and just experiencing draft night? Yeah, it was definitely surreal, and I think that probably relates to Kai as well. It's just one of those things like you think about all the work you put in and, you know, a lot of the sacrifice that you and people around you really made to get you kind of there. And to hear my name was, you know, pretty crazy and a pretty powerful moment, something I'll always, always remember. What was draft night like for you? In, in what ways did you, uh, were you able to experience it? Uh, yeah, so I ended up having it back at school here at Miami University. And, you know, that was awesome. They've done a lot to really help me. And so it only felt right to have it there. And I had family, friends, teammates, coaches, a lot of mentors there. And there were about 150, 160 people there. So it was quite the group and you know it was awesome to share with them coming from a conference like the one you were in obviously great success in college but at the same time you know you hear so much about the sec and uh, conferences like that 
So for you to be selected where you were, I think, speaks volumes about what you have been able to do. But at the same time, did you ever carry maybe a little chip on your shoulders, uh, maybe not being at uh, one of the power conferences and still being able to have the success you've had? Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's really what I have always been. I only had two offers coming out of high school, so I wasn't really a sought-after guy. So it, it really I, – I, I love that I had a chip on my shoulder. I always, you know, was underlooked, so it always kept me driven and going. And, you know, just getting recognition now only fuels the fire even more to, you know, be even better. And on that same call, we also checked in with the Angels' second-round pick, Kai Bush. One thing, Kai, I have heard a ton about your fastball, and everything I read is about that pitch. Can you just maybe just describe how the way it comes out of your hand and also maybe when that started to develop for you as being a plus pitch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm pretty – I'm over the top. I'm, I'm a high three-quarter guy. I think my release point's like seven feet around there. Um, it's pretty high. It comes out right on the top. I try and, try and stay behind, get some ride to it. Um, but, yeah, fastball's always been one of my better pitches. Um, and then, I mean, until the mechanics kind of got figured out, it was really, I mean, an average pitch, but still my best pitch. And then once the velo ticked up, it really became my best pitch and kind of has a little wiggle to it and movement and kind of hard to see with the high release. It has a, just a different slot, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's my favorite pitch. I love that thing. Um, the biggest thing for me was getting a glove side. Once I was able to go arm and glove side, it was, I mean, just my best pitch and something that I used uh, probably 65% of the time. At 6'6", I'd imagine uh, your basketball coach was uh, not wanting you to play much baseball, but here we are uh, here today. Um, is there anybody that maybe you like to model your game after that maybe you've seen before that has kind of been uh, maybe somebody to look up to that's been in the bigs? Yeah, I like to look at uh, Blake Snell. Um, there's not much guys that I feel like that are as high of a three-quarter and 6'6", 240. So but he's a bigger body, bigger frame, a pretty similar pitch mix. So he's a guy that I, I like to watch and kind of – not mirror, but see kind of how his grips and like what he does. Um, so, yeah. I appreciate that. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. That's going to just about do it for us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. Big thanks to Matt Swanson and also to Sam Bachman, Kai Bush as well. Very exciting uh, to see what these guys are, are going to be capable of here in this Angels organization. For Hannah Stang, Howard Drescher, and everybody that helps put this show together, my name is Trent Russia, And most importantly, thanks to all of you for joining us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. We've had some really fun shows over the last couple of weeks. I encourage you to check those out as well. It's all available right here at angels.com slash podcast. Okay, coming up for the Angels, starting on Friday, the Halos get set to take on the Seattle Mariners right here at the Big A. If you don't have your tickets yet, of course you can do that at angels.com slash tickets. Have a great rest of your day, and thanks for being with us here. This has been the Angels Recap Podcast.